All right, here we are, Hour 3, on an eventful afternoon for Talk Radio, as well as a great one, the St. Catherine shooting story. We'll continue to monitor as developments warrant uh, on other matters. You know, we're also looking at the situation stateside, Trump and uh, the whole thing, the imbroglio with the New York Times editorial piece, anonymous, and uh, whether Trump believes this to be uh, credible or you do, uh, it's really an interesting development because these anonymous types of postings if somebody lends credence to them, uh, it says that there is a, a subversive element in play, I guess, or fifth column, as it were, uh, whether or not that's a danger to democracy or whether you can condone and countenance it because you just don't like Trump. We'll discuss here at some point this hour. However, on a matter of the resistance, this is interesting because uh, we were talking about this yesterday where uh there are speakers that are invited to campuses in Canada, as well as in the in the States, but let's just uh, keep it within the Canadian context. And oftentimes, uh, people who resist that message, and uh, they're predominantly conservative speakers who are invited to come to campus, I'm thinking about, or there might be uh, even far right, if you want to position them that way, the uh, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh, the Ann Coulters, but then you get the Jordan Petersons uh, as well, uh, who are shouted down in some circumstances or there's a a commotion caused surrounding their appearance. And uh, this has created an environment where a lot of people feel free speech is being stifled, whereas it should be uh, allowed to flourish, especially on university campuses. If not there, then where? Uh, That's the cauldron or the crucible by which young people tend to learn and uh, develop critical thought and all the rest of that stuff. So Doug Ford has decided that uh, he is going to withhold funding from schools who don't enshrine or uh, safeguard free speech. John Carpe was writing a piece. He's the president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms based in Calgary uh, in the, uh, the Post yesterday. And I found that very interesting because he's suggesting that there could even be another step that the Ford government could take because there's this phenomenon uh, called security fees security fees being used as a tool to censor controversial speech on campus. I wanted to pick that thought up with John Carpe. He's joined us on the line here on the Oakley Show this afternoon at Global News Radio 640 Toronto. John, how you doing? Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, John. Uh, glad to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, now, uh, when you write in your piece about security fees being used as a tool to censor controversial speech on campus, this is, I guess, in a nutshell, what... Uh, Schools are demanding certain groups might, let's say a pro-life group wants to bring a, a speaker on campus. Uh, the administration says this could be problematic. It'll be met with resistance and havoc and all the rest. So you've got to put up a security bond, which can be cost prohibitive. Do you see this as being a template of the so-called resistance or the dissent, you know, that they're playing this card because it's a way of uh, deterring certain speech they don't like? Well, and they've been very successful so far. We had an event in uh, at Ryerson, <clears throat> which, <laughs> oddly enough, the, it was it was a panel that was going to talk about the problem of uh, preserving free speech on campus, and there were threats from uh, Antifa, and uh, Ryerson immediately said, "Oh, well, the event is cancelled." Now, usually they don't just cancel the event. Usually, what they do is, um, like the University of Alberta asked, demanded seventeen thousand five hundred dollars from a tiny campus pro-life club consisted of you know maybe a dozen people uh just for being able to put up a display on campus it wasn't even a a a speaker lindsay shepherd uh closer closer to home uh, for you 
the events there where she wants to uh, she wanted to host a speaker and get get slapped with five thousand dollars in security fees. So the universities are playing into the hands of um, you know groups like Antifa, which uh, threaten certainly disruption, possibly violence. And the problem is the universities are slapping the security invoice on the wrong people. They shouldn't be hitting the students who want to simply host a speaker. They should be sending the invoices to the people that are threatening disruption. Well, oftentimes, though, these people are unidentifiable. How would we do that in a practical way? Well, two things. One is, in in many cases, they are quite open and public and boasting on Facebook, and uh, with a bit of effort, it's not that hard to uh, to find out who they are. Uh, often at the University of Alberta, the people that uh, were organizing to shut down uh, this pro-life display and physically obstruct it and blockade it and so on, uh, they boasted very publicly about their intention to shut down this speech that they disagreed with. But in other cases, uh, it's not that hard. You You take photos of people and you find out who they are, and uh, you send them you send them the invoice. All right. So in a nutshell, this is really censorship by another means. Absolutely. And and it's directed so far, you know, and this the disease could spread to to cover uh, uh more opinions. So far it's been directed very successfully at uh, pro-life groups and at men's issues awareness groups where people uh engage in and we're not talking peaceful counter-protest. I, I'm all in favor of that. If you can't stand, you know, Jordan Peterson, and if you want to say, you know, stupid false things like he's a racist or whatever, if you want to stand there holding up your, your, your sign and, you know, down with Jordan Peterson, that's fine. That's legitimate free speech. What's not legitimate is when you engage in, you know, banging drums and ringing cowbells and uh, pulling fire alarms, screaming, pulling fire alarms, physically obstructing, uh, and disrupting and making it impossible for people that want to listen to not be able to listen. Well, what about the role of the school administrators? It sounds to me like they're uh, derelict in their duty to ensure that this is a, dare I use the term, safe space for all speech, uh, or at least protecting, you know, uh, all types of speech. In other words, they could step in. Wouldn't they have a robust enough uh, response if they maybe... uh, kick kids out of school, uh, you know, penalize them in other ways. Is it, does a lot of this fall on the school administrators being derelict in their duties? Oh, absolutely. At the University of Alberta, there were, uh, when, when these obstructors and, and disruptors, when they physically blockaded and shut down a pro-life display on campus, not only had they bragged about it on Facebook and Twitter, both before in the planning stage and afterwards, after they succeeded, so they publicly self-identified. Even if they hadn't, there were uh, dozens, if not hundreds, of photographs and video footage was presented to campus security, and campus security said, oh, well, we're not going to discipline any of these students. There's not a single person charged with um, with misconduct, even though the rules of the university say expressly that it is contrary to the student code of behavior to shut down or disrupt or obstruct a university-related activity or an event on campus. Yeah, and this seems to me like it's not just isolated. It's almost endemic to uh, academia these days from coast to coast, is it not? 
they're not thinking through what freedom of expression means and does not mean. I'm a huge advocate of free expression. That's my daily work. However, I'll be the first to say freedom of expression does not include a right to prevent other people from speaking. That's not part of it. Uh, if, if, you know, and the university presidents are hypocrites because if they themselves were speaking at an event, uh, I don't think they would uh, take kindly to a bunch of people standing up and shouting and screaming and making it impossible for the university president to be heard. And in fact, I think they would. <laughs> I think they would tell campus security to escort these people out of the room, uh, but they won't extend that courtesy to other speakers. Well, the dangerous development here is that it's become somewhat subjective, and uh, the loudest group or the most uh, uh, vociferous, you know, or they're uh, even antagonistic. They seem to carry the day, and uh, that's a form of intimidation, the political correctness here. Uh, for example, hate speech. You know, we hear this a lot. Well, we can't allow for hate speech, but that's a subjective thing. So where do we draw the line? I mean, what are the rules when it comes to uh, speech that should and shouldn't be permissible? Universities have an obligation to uphold the criminal code, um, but the provisions against hate speech in the criminal code are specific and they're narrow. And you hardly ever see anybody charged with hate speech because uh, they are very narrow, very specific criteria. I have been active in uh, defending campus free speech for for well over a decade. I have never uh, seen or heard of a single incident where the speech that was being censored qualified as hate speech under the criminal code. So what universities need to do is is definitely enforce the the criminal code. So if somebody's saying, you know, death to the Jews or, you know, advocating for genocide, okay, fine. The university can step in and say, we're not allowing that on campus. Other than the criminal code, they have no business uh, censoring speech. Again, John Carpe is with us, the president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms on this matter of, uh, well... Censorship by security fee. You know, as kids are back in school now, campuses uh, perhaps starting to put together their uh, itinerary for pe- uh, speakers coming to the school, whether or not some will make it there and be allowed to speak, because this is a dangerous development. Uh, as far as that's concerned, Doug Ford taking it upon himself and his government. One of the initial edicts is that they're going to withhold funding from schools who don't safeguard free speech. The other thing, John, though, I'm curious about is because they say that uh, if the schools don't comply with free speech policies, that'll result in funding cuts proportional to the severity of non-compliance. How do you quantify something like that? Well, the devil is in the details, and we'll have to wait and see what the uh, specific criteria are. I- I'm making an assumption that the Ford government is going to come up with more specifics than what they did in their August 30th news release. But let, let me tell you, after after so many years of seeing this garbage go on and seeing it being, being condoned by university presidents, I was just thrilled last week to hear that, you know, finally, for the first time in Canadian history, uh, there's a government that is taking steps to actually address this problem. Uh, no other government in Canada has, has lifted a finger uh, provincially to um, uh, to protect free speech rights on campus. Well, the way they're uh, going about it, again, you write, each Ontario university must also prepare an annual report on its own progress in complying with its free speech policy and submit it to the Higher Education Quality Council of Ontario, which kind of sounds a little Orwellian, I have to admit, doesn't it? Not when you're receiving billions and billions of tax dollars from taxpayers 
based on a false promise to protect campus free speech, which is what the university presidents are doing now. Uh, they're, they're saying, you know, give us these billions of dollars because we're going to promote uh, free expression and free in- inquiry and frank debate. We're going to uh, challenge students and uh, help them to develop intellectually. And then they turn around and break that promise. You can't demand autonomy when you're receiving billions of tax dollars based on very specific conditions. Well, you know, the other thing I'm kind of curious about is uh, the fly in the ointment here. The student unions who arguably or ostensibly represent the students' interests, they've become very politicized, haven't they? They are worse than university administrations. There are uh, incidents all over Canada, uh, literally from, from B.C. To, uh, to Newfoundland, where student unions have banned a campus club purely because the student union executives disagree with the opinions and beliefs of the campus club and target, targets primarily its pro-life clubs. It's also a men's issues awareness club at Ryerson. And this is just outrageous at a, an institution for higher learning that you have student unions which deny club status to a group, not based on any misconduct or, or misbehavior, but purely because you know, we disagree with your opinion, so you're not allowed to form a campus club. And this is, uh, the, the Ford government needs to uh, expand the policy and uh, really deal with the problem of student unions. Well, yeah, I mean, they stack these things on campuses, uh, primarily from the left. But I was talking to the Premier recently, and he told me that the model that they're following is the University of Chicago statement on principles of free expression. Can you, in a nutshell, tell us what those are? It's a it's a pretty short statement. It includes the idea that the university is supposed to be about uh, robust debate and free inquiry, and uh, not silencing ideas you disagree with, but uh, growing your intellect by learning how to debate and how to refute the ideas that you disagree with. And University of Chicago principles, uh, another great one is the that students should not be shielded from things which they might find offensive or that they might disagree with. So it's, it's, a, it's a great short statement. And uh, universities in Ontario have now been told that their policies uh, have to comply with these principles. So it's, it's a great start. Well, and I believe the dean at the University of Chicago, if memory serves, basically said, if you can't subscribe to these policies, this ain't the school for you. And he spelled it out rather emphatically. And uh, there were a lot of people who went amen to that. Finally, somebody in academia stood up and spoke truth to this intimidation. John, it's great to talk to you as always. I appreciate your input. Thanks for having me on your show. You got it. John Carpe president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Now you know, (laughs) this is campus life. Uh, Is it too far gone that anything can be salvaged? You know, I just hear all kinds of stories from parents whose kids, you know, they come back. uh, Maybe it's the early part of the semester. And I'm just going historically by what I've heard, uh, not from this year necessarily, but I'm sure nothing has changed that dramatically, where kids are told almost from the hop, from professors who admittedly say, this is where my philosophy or where I'm parked ideologically, and uh, if you don't like it, uh, you can leave the class. And, you know, they just tack to that professor's point of view as well. They just, you know, kind of parrot it because I want to get a good mark. You stray off that beaten path, you're not singing off the same hymn sheet as the prof, you're in deep doo-doo. 
didn't if nothing else we learned that from the Lindsay Shepherd example didn't we <laughs> I mean so I'm just worried for some of these kids for their first taste in academia uh it may be an eye opener you thought high school was kind of restrictive wait a minute ideologically they put you in a straitjacket some of these profs on certain campuses uh and by the way if you shared that experience if you've actually experienced it or your kid has related it to you you can relate it to me i'm going to open the lines and we'll take some calls i got a couple of other things i wanted to run by you not least of which is this latest development on the trumpian front has to do with the anonymous op-ed piece in the new york times that has caused quite a stir uh in the public discourse stateside as well as here i mean there are a lot of implications too for just where we're going when it comes to this kind of dissent within an administration is that corrosive to democracy a dangerous development or is it something that you can applaud uh this administrative subversion in a moment we'll get to that more on the oakley show global news radio 640 toronto